0: Please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 23rd of September 2020, and it's time for another Morning espresso. As usual, we have the instantaneous translations just down below, click on that, you'll get a drop-down list of different simultaneous translations that are happening as we speak. Also, you'll see that we have a Q&A button, um, so feel free to send any questions you might have, and we will get back to you on that. Um, also, you can also send questions to Funds at Nordea.com at any time uh, on any subject, and again, someone will definitely get back to you. So, this morning... As per usual, we will start with a quick macro update, and for that, I have our senior macro strategist, Dr. Sebastian Gali, with me. Good morning, Sebastian. Good morning. Hi. So, um, towards the end of the summer, we've seen the Fed has has kind of changed the, their rhetoric a little bit um, and their forward guidance. The, you know, the way they're going about the forward guidance has changed as well. So I just wondered if perhaps you could give us the outlook for the Federal Reserve um, going forward now.
1: Sure. I mean, the the one thing you should remember is that the recipe for the Fed is a, a bubbly market. That means things go up they get squeezed and uh, and basically it continues again. Uh, what do we have in terms of forward guidance? They add another year, so 2023 also on hold. And therefore the question is whether beyond 2023, it's gonna to start to increase or not increase and potentially a little bit before, before that. And the guidance they gave is inflation being 2% or above and unemployment reaching what we call Nehu, uh, which is 4.4%. Below that, it starts to become significantly inflationary big uncertainty regarding that number. So you shouldn't take it uh, as being the truth, but as a truth as measured by the St. Louis uh, Fed. What is most likely going to happen is that the Fed in 2023 and 2024 starts a very slow pace of tightening as the labor market is uh, very tight. But in- inflation will be seen, uh, seen in wages only in some places, such as construction, uh, Google, um and, and a few other places, but not in a general basis. It'll be better, but it'll not be very strong because it'll be replaced by automation and a lot of outsourcing. You can think of the Mexico, which is sitting on the other side of the border uh, is uh, incredibly cheap with uh, the money and extent of qualified qualify labor, which is available. And so uh, it's a difficult environment for the Fed to hike. It is also a long period of very low interest rates combined with quantitative easing, and that typically is quite good uh, for the market. They are bubbly nonetheless. That means you can have periods of instability as we are going through right now.
0: Great. Now, at this stage, I would normally ask you a follow-up question or perhaps we might go on to the key takeaways, but uh, we're trying to keep this fairly short because we have uh, an ex- slightly extended session coming up. Um, quick A quick summary there for us, perhaps, Sebastian?
1: Sure. I mean, the the low rates for long are good for risky assets in general, but also means significant period of instability, and that means proper risk management. And that sounds like active management to me. Great. Thank you
0: again uh, for your time this morning. And as I just mentioned, we have a very special guest this morning. Uh, It's Dr. Asbjorn Troller who is head of Nordea Multi Assets Team. Good morning, Asbjorn. Morning, Paul. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right. How are you? These? Oh, you know, surviving. So, on. before we get stuck into the main course, um, I've got a little entree, a little question that I wanted to, to ask you about, because we used to have a sales guy uh, working for Nordea, and before he, he joined the commercial side of the business, he was a portfolio manager. And the reason he gave it up was because he found it really difficult um, to switch off. Um, he was constantly worrying about the financial markets um, and, and you know, couldn't sleep at night. And if he woke up, he was, he was panicking about what was happening. Today, you and the team are running over 100 billion euros. Um, incidentally, some of that is my money, though it's less than half. But anyway, um, the question really is, though, how do you cope with all of that responsibility that's on your shoulders?
2: No, I don't think, uh, I mean, we view, uh, you know, necessarily the, the 100 billion as a, as something that is, you know, uh, giving us uh, extra stress in the way we invest. We look at the percentages of the returns. Of course, we know there's a lot of clients out there. Some of them we've met, you know, uh, from one time to another. So, so every single euro of that is just, you know, close to our, our mind in that way. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, more think about that. We, we have to take care of, of those assets as, a, you know, as an investment in terms of percentage more than, than the total amount without sort of, uh, yeah, uh, trying to ignore the responsibility that there is a lot of uh, people out there who have invested with us. And of course, we are very happy with that and take that responsibility very, very seriously.
0: Great. Well, yeah, <laughs>
2: all, all <to> yours, so.
0: <laughs> I, I don't envy you <laughs> to, to be honest as a um, that's a big responsibility, but uh, you're one of the hum- most humble guys I know. And I think that that speaks to you and your personality and the, and the team as well. Anyway, let's move on. Um, you famously don't actually use macro sort of top down calls uh, when you're managing your portfolios. And I think that's, that's something that actually sets you apart from Many other asset uh, multi asset managers. Um, that said, I'm sure that everyone watching this morning is itching to know how you view the current market environment. And so I thought perhaps that would be a good place to start.
2: Yeah, that's right, Paul. I think uh, the the way to phrase it is really that we don't rely too much on a single scenario that we have built because we know there's a lot of uncertainty around scenarios. I mean, going into this year, for example, you know, you know, who predicted that the COVID, you know, could impact the market in, in this, uh, with this amount of, you know, volatility, and it actually is more the lockdowns that are implemented, uh, you know, uh, impacting levels rather than any, anything else. Uh, And so so in that sense, you can say we try to not be too reliant on a macro forecast and, you know, hitch our forecast, you can say, by balancing the risk in the portfolio so that, of course, we know that there's a certain direction where we think things are going to move in the long run, but we also know that our ability to forecast that is limited. So in, in that way, it's about, you know, of course having a view for the longer run but also trying and hits that view out with some you know investments that can do good in an alternative scenario or a hitting scenario but it's mm-hmm. right paul if you bring up the you know the presentation that yeah you know, it's been very interesting uh, development this year i mean if you look at the macro <laughs> numbers then of course on the left hand side you've got the global pmis i mean yeah. the downturn towards the end here in 2020 you know, how steep it is, how consistent it is across and look at the speed at which is coming back. I mean, also quite Amazing. incredible. Uh, and of course, that's the bailout packages. And one thing that I find interesting is actually by looking at the right hand side graph, you know, how significant the bailout packages have been. So if you look at, you know, consumption, the blue line, that's then, then that's, of course, falling off a, a cliff, you can say, almost with the, yeah. with the slowdown and everything. But the packages and the support that the economy has been given as Sebastian was indicating, you know, by the central banks and by also, you know, tax reliefs and fiscal, all those fiscal supports, I mean, that's that red line, the income. It's never income, and for the U.S. households, you know, have never accelerated more mm. during this phase. It's uh, it's difficult to convince people to use the money, so consumption is still falling off. <laughs> you no, know, the, the 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 income is really uh, rallying, and so so there's a lot of support out there for for us to get through all this. Uh, a wobbly market, you can say.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like you say, it's amazing looking at these charts, how well, the right hand chart is just crazy, but also on the left hand side, this this bounce in the PMI. The thing is like now we're seeing, certainly in the UK, you know, the pubs are going to close at 10, which is a disaster. But, (laughs) you know, joking aside, I mean, the COVID cases around the world, it it means that, you know, we're tightening the COVID rules. Spain as well, I read this week. it could be that those PMIs then drop off a cliff again. So I guess basically you, you need to have some sort of insurance against that potential outcome. Um, so I'm just wondering how you go about that. How do you insure the house? Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. So it is about, you know, even though you think that asset growth over the longer run is fine, then there's going to be these dips on the way. And these are really big dips. So if you, you know, bring up the next page, then you can see actually that. You know the way that we did try and protect under the uh, first half was you know related to different types of asset classes. So you can also say a normal a normal protection in a balanced portfolio, where you would have equities and bonds, that wouldn't have worked particularly well. So. You see all these uh, the high yield and the, uh, you know, the euro stocks, uh, the S&P 500, the, 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 the red line there, uh, all falling off in the first quarter. And then you see the green, you know, uh, lines, which are actually the, the government bonds, which, n- which didn't really do anything. Yeah. So normally, you would have this balance. <laughs> so the Insurance would be your bond market, right? It would be related to the central bank action and the fall of the bond yield on the back of, you know, decelerating economic activity. But that actually, that actually didn't really work. Yeah during the first quarter. So, so you have to apply something else. And this is, of course, what we try to do. And um,
0: so, so, so yeah. wait, you've insured the house, you've yeah. got all these different policies. One of them's fixed income. That clearly hasn't worked. Yeah. But something has worked, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. So what's that?
2: Because if you look at the, at the next page there, then you can see that across our multi-asset range that, you know, from the flexible fixed income strategy to the balanced income strategy to the state return. And again, our our alpha rings have all provided, you know, good protection during the first quarter. And so obviously, you know, that cannot be because of the bonds, because that wouldn't have worked. Uh, And we would have been locked down with sort of the the peer group performance or the, you can say the, the traditional, more traditional index performance. And so on the next page, you can see what, I mean, what did really work was, was basically everything else so uh, so here I mean yeah. we split it for simplicity into you know defensive uh, insurance strategies and then these aggressive strategies which could be equities that obviously had a negative impact on, on, our, on our fund Here's here it's the state return strategy in particular where you know the aggressive strategies ie equities provided a, a four, four, four and a half percent negative impact but then you had these defensive building blocks that protect it. and you know what Bonds was not the best of them, so mm. it was kind of other other strategies that you know were helping us, and you know from our currency overlays to uh, you know different long short positions actually in the bond market and and, and and quicker hedging strategies. So it it was an alternative, you know, a, you know way of hedging that that helped protect the capital during Q1, and similarly here on the next page, page. Uh, around, I've just updated here, you know, now we are at the 20s, so at least until the 18s, where again, we've had this sell-off in the market, Where it's again, not so much the bonds that are giving the protection, uh, but here again, uh, our defensive strategies are working really well. This time around, it's the low-risk equities that are actually providing some uh, positive return, but also other strategies. Again, not so much the bonds, but also the currencies that are working. So it's about, you know, having this variety of insurance uh, components that are not only bonds that can insure a house as you are, as you're putting it.
0: So, but, so what I'm actually seeing here is basically in Q1, we were sort of down a little bit and then in Q2 we were up a little bit, but, you know, as a whole, that's sort of a sort of zero sum game, isn't it? So, and, and actually, you know, you've taken this year, but if I look over my three year performance on the stable return strategy, it's also a little bit flat, isn't it? Um, so, do we have the same dynamics going on or can you say something to that?
2: Yes, yeah, so I think you should be a little bit, Because over the last three years you're looking, which has been uh, somewhat maybe more muted in terms of returns, it should be still slightly positive, I would say. Yeah. Over the longer run, it is of course, uh, the intent is that you get this insurance from the defensive strategies and then in the long run you get the return from the aggressive strategies. Uh, maybe you also get a bit of return from the defensive strategies over time. Uh, that has at least been the case for the last, I mean, if you look at the last five years, for example, they've actually both added to the return, but it's true over the last you know, three years that dynamic has not really been there. And so if you look at the, the next page in particular on you know, where we have tried to split out, okay, so what has been the dynamics around these aggressive strategies? I mean, you know, have they provided any return? And here we get to the second problem that the financial market has. So you have this about the bonds not diversifying, and then you have this about growth, in particular in the second quarter, outperforming tremendously, but also over time. So look at the, look at the left-hand side, Paul. I mean, the growth, yep. how they're rallying tremendously, the value stocks, how they're moving sideways. This is a, so a very talked about issue in the market in, I think what is interesting here is that actually you could have put the equal weighted index uh, on instead to see instead of, okay, what, what has the average stock done uh, instead of putting on the value? And then what you would find is actually that the, the equal weighted index is very much aligned to, over the last five years at least, to sort of the value index. So they're not, it's not so much the value. The value is moving sideways like sort of the average stock in the market. The anomaly is on the growth side where you have these Big Five, as I think they call them out there, or you know the mega growth uh, growth stocks that are you know rallying uh, you know tremendously, and and uh, if you look at the right hand side, that's not it's not really supported by by the earnings uh, development. They are sort of falling both the growth stocks and the value stocks in, so, in terms of their 12, 12 months trailing earnings. So so what is important is that it's a it's a growth anomaly, not so much a value anomaly. It's a yeah. growth anomaly where. You know, you have simply got a handful or two uh, uh, of of very aggressive growth stocks that are that are trading up, and so this is partly why you know uh, that the return is moving a bit sideways with the more median stock. You can say,
0: yeah, uh, and, and I guess I guess everyone listening knows that you know that that the stable equities are an integral part of the the stable return strategy, um, but also we have the balanced income fund. Uh, strategy, uh, the flexible fixed income strategy, uh, and we have the alpha strategies as well. And they, for different reasons, don't rely so heavily on the stable equity names in order to to drive their performance. So I wondered if perhaps we could just address that as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So if you bring up uh, the page after again, then you can see, I mean, first, as you mentioned correctly, that the stable return strategy is very much, you know, dipping into the, the stable equity strategy as well. And, and just on a note from before, that earnings have been moving very sideways for the median stock and for the market that you can see on the left-hand side with the, with the sort of blue line here, that you know, this is the earnings for MSCI World. This is, not, this is even market cap weighted. So the, the equal weighted you know, earnings development would have been slightly worse than this, uh, but not too much because uh, you know, yeah, it's sort of almost equal. What, what, is, what is fascinating, I think, is that our low-risk stocks, our stable stocks, are, are that the earnings are moving actually upwards. So it's, so it's not that you know our stable stocks have gotten a, an earnings problem. It's just that you know, it hasn't got a lot of exposure to the Big Five or the Big Ten, uh, and therefore the price rally is not so significant. So I think if you look fundamentally, and I'm sure Klaus mentioned that on the Morning Express or a couple of...
0: Weeks, I, I think I've seen this slide before. Yeah, exactly. So this is
2: was very important and and to us, and that we you know used to cross check that. Okay, when the low risk equities, stable equities are not performing, you know, in terms of price going up as we, you know, typically see that it does. I mean, is that because the earnings or the profits? Is are, are something wrong with the profits of these companies? And and this uh, line on the left hand side shows you know actually mm-hmm. not actually they uh, The earnings and profits are outperforming and the companies are profits are also dipping less than for the market during this uh, volatile phase that Sebastian is describing also in the beginning. And and Mm. it it gives us a lot of comfort so that on the right-hand side, you simply see that, you know, P is exploding for the market driven by the, you know, big five or big 10. And our P is is moving nowhere. Uh, And in reality that, you know, that gives the good uh, potential for the future, future, I should think.
0: Mm.
2: And then, then you're right that your other question is, there's of course other, other strategies, like the old alpha strategy that you were mentioning. And on the next page, uh, Paul, we can look at yeah. a, the last, say, say three quarters where the, where the market has been down, the equity market has been down. Um, and and that is sort of the q 118 To the left in the middle, you have Q4.18 and to the right, 2020 Q1. Um, I can see in your eyes that you're, it's already a little bit more complex, this, right?
0: <laughs> you know, I'm a simple guy. <laughs>
2: you can, yeah, and me too. But, you know, this is, this is you know, a little bit more complex in the alpha strategies. You will have, you know, more moving parts. And, you know, uh, there's more things to understand where, you know, looking at this state return fund, you know, it's very simple. You can understand, you know, the ingredients and the equities that are in there and see, how are the profits developing? Is that where we got we get our supports? Yes, it is. And then we can sort of sign off that we think the companies are fundamentally okay. But you're right um, that uh, this is an alternative strategy that has been more successful recently and uh, but it's also far more complex.
0: So my eye is drawn to the top right-hand corner. I see returns of over 10%, bit of old there, nice sharp. I think I'll just buy this one, just buy the Alpha 15. Yeah, and that's where
2: you know, of course, the complexity comes in. So you can buy something which is more complex. Probably, it's also, you know, a bit more difficult to understand. Uh, this will have a time where it is, of course, more diversified. So it it'll have, you know, over time more legs to stand on. But you know, it's very clear that you have attractive value in the in the stable equities and therefore also the stable return, return fund. And then. Um, so of course there's a trade-off between simplicity and complexity, and uh, also in the end diversification. But it's true. I mean, if you look at the, the now I was beginning on the quarters, uh, just you know the last three quarters where you know equities have been down, then you've got a mixed bag of the response from the alphas. I mean, so in the in the Q1 18, you know the alphas were up. Uh, in Q4 18, okay the alphas were down, and then Q1 2020 the alphas were were up when the market was down. And then, you know, you've got almost symmetry around that the following quarter, except here in 2020, where we managed to be up in in both, um, yeah, in both quarters. So that's what you see in the grand total across, of course. So I leave that decision to you. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Like complexity or whether you like, you know, the simplicity, I'm sure over time, both both, uh, solutions will, uh, yeah, give an attractive return. Uh, so the question is, of course, uh, what 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 fits your needs there?
0: Yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's a serious point, isn't it? I mean, the stable return fund is, is much more transparent. It's much easier for advisors to follow what's going on and to understand what's going on there than a much more complex uh, Alpha 15 uh, type portfolio.
2: Yeah, you know good. the book value of the stable return. You can say you always keep a good eye on that and understand, bring that to your your board or you're inclined or whatever you, yeah. What, what stakeholder you need to cater for
0: yeah. in yourself. Yeah. You mentioned Sebastian, what he was saying at the beginning uh, there, and I just wanted to come back to that as well, because obviously we're now in, in an environment where we have low or, or negative interest rates. Uh, you combine that with an increasingly complex and uncertain market environment that we see right now. Where do you see like possible risk reward, now, not for the next couple of months, maybe for going out years. I mean, what, what are investors to do now? Exactly.
2: I mean, so this is, this is of course, a difficult, a difficult question. I mean, we usually have this uh, chart where we show, I mean, what, what, we show, what, what is the last 10 years performance of an asset class, which is uh, the next 10 years performance. And of course, uh, that looks a bit, bit tricky for the future, not so much for the past. Uh, but if you bring up that uh, that slide, Paul, yeah. then we can have a look at it. And I, I think there, you know, you would notice that on the fixed income side, of course. I mean, it's been it's been great also for much longer than many many of us predicted. I mean, so whenever we thought rates were <laughs> hitting their lows, then they would just <laughs> went even lower. Now I think we are at <laughs> the you know the lower boundary at least in terms of communication or, uh, from you know different parties. Uh, I mean, how low the Fed wants to go and. I think they are reluctant to experiment with with negative rates. So I mean, the green uh, you know bars is for the future for the general asset classes, and it just looks a lot, you know, a lot less than it than it has been. So there is of course a, a trade-off here. Do you want to invest for the you know with the eye on the past returns, uh, or do you want to do something for the future? And if you want to do something for the future, then of course we are thinking that actually the, the stable equities and the low risk equities with a PE of 12, 13 and an earnings trajectory that seems to be on the market. I mean, that, that looks good in this uh, future context. So well, it's,
0: the- always diff- it's always difficult, isn't it? There's always that, that recency bias, you know, what's happened recently is, is going to carry on. But there's also that, particularly in our industry, you know, people look in the rear view mirror and they take that, that that's going to be the future, but that's very, very rarely the case. And I think you know, when you look at this, it, I mean, this is a completely different world we live in.
2: Forecasting has always been difficult, Paula, for, for almost everyone, including for us in the financial markets, all of us. So so I think in in that sense, of course, you have to take the forecast with a grain of salt, but you know, still lean towards you know what your analysis show and be disciplined around that. And then you know you can be off for a while, but as but but here it's important that of course you can look at what is the book value and what is the intrinsic value of your investments and then lean on that uh, and, you know, together with the future cash flows, we, we are, you know, our investment style is asset pricing, we look at the future cash flows and the current cash flows and check what is the valuation of those, it's not like we buy things very cheap, but we just don't like to buy them too expensive, because that also entails a risk. So middle valuation with solid cash flows, and that is that is what we typically like, and also in at times where, the, you know, is less popular?
0: Yeah. Great. Well, um, we have uh, a key takeaway slide. And usually what I say to my guests is, you know, if there's something you'd like to, to add at the end, you know, just to summarize or any points that you haven't covered, then then please feel free to do that. I'll give you a few minutes while I just skim through what we've talked about this morning. Um, so we've seen this strong rebound. You, you remember those, those charts with the big PMI back where you see also savings um, and, and income going two different directions completely. Uh, that's obviously driven by central bank and uh, you know, monetary policy and government fiscal policy, um, and that has led to this strong growth bias. Um, we've also seen from the slides that the traditional diversification tools, you know, fixed income equity you didn't really work during that sell-off, um, uh, but. You know, you have to come back to this risk balancing and and actually, you know, when the markets go up, what's happening is the risk is increasing, uh, ironically. Um, So you need to to make sure that you continue to protect and diversify your portfolio and not get sucked into that uh, into that risky situation. Um, Multi-asset solutions still believe have a resilient profile, um, particularly in these market drawdowns we've seen that we've been able to protect we still manage to participate uh, on the upside as well so that that's good to see um, and you know, just coming back to the discussion today obviously the focus has been a bit on this, on the stable return strategy but you know we have a flexible fixed income we have a balanced income and we have the alpha range as well so we really do have a product suite to suit you or your clients needs and of course you know um, feel free to, to contact your um, sales representatives to have discussions about those products um, they'll be happy to help that's my summary yes. over to you for the last comment
2: Yeah, no, thanks, Paul. That sounds just about right. And uh, yeah, I just want to thank you for having me on the show this morning. And uh, yeah, best of luck to you and all our listeners and viewers and the investors out there.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much. Well, that was a pleasure. Um, Next week, by popular demand. We have Juliana Hansweiden, who is the lead portfolio manager of the Emerging Stars Equity Fund. Remember, whenever we say stars, we mean dedicated ESG strategies. Um, in the meantime, don't forget, we have our Stay Alert website. You'll find that at nordea.org. And there you'll find all of the past interviews, including the one with Klaus Worm a few weeks ago, talking specifically about stable equities. Um, You'll also find podcasts, uh, Q&As and a whole bunch of other stuff. So please uh, go and visit that page in the meantime. That's it for this week. I'll see you next week.